You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, welcome this morning to the Gateway Church. We're so glad you're here. It's Easter 2018. It's the Super Bowl day of the church, uh, and we, we love it. It's the day we celebrate Jesus, the day we celebrate the death and resurrection of a Savior, right? And we're celebrating today the greatest comeback story of a lifetime, right? And again, we're glad that you're here, and we know that God uh, has great plans. I received the word that, uh, that uh, Pastor Bruce mentioned, that you are not here on an accident. Uh, God has got something he wants to speak to each and every one of us, no doubt. Well, when we decided the theme this year was going to be the comeback, my mind has been consumed with comeback stories ever since. I want you to think about maybe a comeback story that comes to your mind. These are stories of individuals or groups of people or organizations or teams or businesses who were facing impossible situations, uh, uh, adversity, setbacks, trouble, and somehow they were able to overcome and end up on top. Somehow they ended up winning. History is full of them. As I started to dig in, I was looking first for a historical context, and I ran across the story that I had heard before, but about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860. That's an important date, an important year. But you back that up, 28 years, and he lost his job in 1832, the same year he was defeated in the legislative uh, branch in 1832. In 1833, he had a failed business, and then the same year, he was then elected into uh, the legislative uh, branch of government. But two years later, he lost his dear wife. The following year after that, he had a nervous breakdown, and everyone thought he was done for. In 1838, two years later, he was defeated as the Speaker of the House. 1843, he was defeated for the nomination uh, for Congress. In 1846, he was finally elected into the Congress, but then he lost the renomination that never happens in 1848, two years later. He was rejected for the land officer, 1849, defeated for Senate, 1854, defeated for the nomination of the vice president in 1856. And you're saying, who would continue to keep on trying? (laughs) Abraham Lincoln. In Two years later, 1860, he was elected and the great president. He's not the only president that had a comeback story. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with Franklin D. Roosevelt. uh, uh, Struggled with polio early on in his life. People thought he was not even going to make it. Ended up being president. When you're thinking about great comeback stories, my mind went to some great inventors. How about Albert Einstein and Thomas Edison? Two great people we revere, but they had a comeback story. Albert Einstein couldn't even speak fluently until he was age nine, and he was expelled from school on multiple occasions. Thomas Edison, he was dyslexic. He was considered a poor and lazy student. He lost his hearing in his left ear, and at the age of 16, he 
created its first invention, and it was the first of 1,100, almost 1,100 inventions. And boy, what a comeback he had. I always think about when it's comeback stories, think about comeback movies, the ones that came to mind. My mind was The Karate Kid, and then I looked it up. The number one comeback story of all time is Rocky, a nobody kid and a nobody boxer in both cases, rising to the top. Everybody loves a comeback story, don't they? How about comeback celebrities? Anybody have a pulse on culture? How about Robert Downey Jr., the comeback story in the last 10 years? Uh, or Bruno Mars, you say, he's on the top of the charts. What are you talking about? He started singing on cruise ships and then made his way. And then, of course, there's Oprah Winfrey. Born to a teenage mother, it is a classic poverty to riches story. And uh, kind of like uh, Donald Trump. Wait, no, that's a different story. And, uh, <laughs> but Oprah and Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Bruno Mars, all comeback stories. But when you think about comeback stories, your mind, in my mind, it goes to sports, doesn't it? How many can think of a sport comeback story? No question. I asked Pastor Bobby, and he's a huge Ohio fan, and he was born and kind of raised in Ohio. Sorry about that, Bobby. And... Uh, <laughs> But in, uh, he, his story for him was the 2016 NBA Finals. The Golden State and the Cavs, the Cavs are down three games to one, and they came back. No one in history had ever done it. The greatest comeback in NBA Finals history, the Cavs come back to win it four games to three. How many remember, remember that? Yeah, <laughs> all right, all right. We got one woo. And then for me... And then for me, and for my good friend, uh, Mr. Darrell, who's here, uh, uh, second service here, give a little wave. This is my friend Darrell. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to call you out. But my friend Darrell, we watch football every Sunday night together. I go to his house, and his boy is Tom Brady. And when you're thinking of comeback stories, you can't remember, you can't think of it without thinking of the 2017 Super Bowl, the Patriots and the Falcons. It's the great comeback story, the great Tom Brady story. And uh, these are fun stories to remember, aren't they? We, everybody loves a good comeback story. Well, this morning, we want to narrow our focus a bit, narrow our thoughts to a very specific comeback story. We're not going to focus on a celebrity or a movie or a historian or an inventor or one of the great presidents. We want to hone in on your comeback story. You are the focus this morning. And as we do that, we're going to focus on a few other comeback uh, stories, one missed comeback that are found in Scripture. And let's all just agree right at the beginning here that no doubt Jesus and his comeback is what separates him from all other men and women in history. The most significant part of Jesus' life was his death and resurrection. It is, hands down, the greatest comeback story of all times. It's the truth. And this morning, we're going to look at that story in the few days that were surrounded that and the events that surrounded the death and the resurrection. And within Jesus' story, there are two other stories that are developing simultaneously. 
And so let's look at it. Thursday night, the week of the death and resurrection, it's the Last Supper. And there's the Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table. They're relaxing, having a good time. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets intense. He says, guys, things are about to get bad. Now, that's my version of what he said. But the tension starts to build. And he says, and by the way, one of you that are here are going to betray me. Now, the two stories that are developing here are Peter and Judas. And Judas, who had already sold out and already decided to betray Jesus, he sits there quiet as a mouse. He doesn't say a thing. On the contrast, there's Peter. He's bold and outspoken. He says, he says I would never do that, right? In fact, in Luke chapter 22, it, it kind of captures the story. And in verse 33, Peter replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to death. He says, I'm going to give it all. You don't worry. There's no way I'm denying you. And, Peter, and Jesus says, pipe down, Peter. <laughs> by Friday night, by, by tomorrow night, you will have denied me three times. Later, Thursday night, the disciples, they go out with Jesus to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus encourages them to pray. He says, hey, pray and, uh, so you won't uh, have a hard time with temptation. And then Judas shows up. You know the story? For 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrays Jesus. You know when the soldiers show up. You know when the cops show up, it gets real. And the disciples, they're ready to fight. They draw their swords because Jesus had said to have a sword earlier in the chapter. And Jesus stops them in that moment. And he's led off. He's taken to trial, which, by the way, were illegal, bogus accusations. So we have this Last Supper. We have the prayer, the arrest. It's all chronicled in Luke chapter 22. You fast forward a little bit uh, to the end of the chapter and Peter denies Jesus not only one time, not twice, but three times. And he's in the same courtyard where Jesus is, Peter is, and Peter denies. And in verse 61, look what it says. After that, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. They locked eyes in the courtyard. The same uh, and, and they were they made connection. It says then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. Just hours before, he said I would never do that. And now he's there, and he's busted. I want to pause here for a second and ask the question. Please don't raise your hands. But have you ever been there, doing something that you swore you would never do? I'll raise my hand. I'll go ahead. <laughs> I've been there. You say, I will never do that to my wife, or I'd never do that to my husband, or I'd never act that way at work or at school. Have you ever been there? Thinking that, well, that happens to other people, not to me. Or have you ever found yourself in a situation where you used to maybe pity others and you felt sorry for others. You say, oh, that happens to other families or that happens to other kids, not me. I'm not that guy or that gal. And all of a sudden, you wake up in the moment and you're just like Peter. You say, man, man now I've done it. Friday morning comes. 
the day gets worse. An angry mob is, and with Jesus is on trial, and they get more angry and more angry. Imagine Peter and Judas at this point. As you see their stories develop, you're realizing that Jesus was not the only one needing to make a comeback, right? And we see Peter's response in Luke chapter 22, the very next verse, verse 62. So after he turns, locks eyes with Jesus in the courtyard, it says, he went outside, verse 62, and he wept bitterly. He fled, he ran, and he cried, he wept out loud. It was a low point for Peter. Now, Judas' response was quite different. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, we see Judas' response. Judas did not realize that Jesus was going to die. He hadn't, made that, he hadn't figured that out. He's now thinking, man, things have gone wrong. He's seen Jesus' miraculous powers in his ministry, and he's thinking, Jesus, he's going to be fine. And now he's saying, oh my, this is more than I bargained for. This is, I didn't see this coming. And he goes out and he takes his own life. Let's look at it, Matthew 27, starting verse 3. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He didn't really figure all that was going to happen. He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He said, I have sinned, he said, and I have betrayed innocent blood. They replied, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. Verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. He went away and hanged himself. You know, our stories are not that much different. How many of you would say, man, you've done something wrong. The betrayal, it was much worse than you thought. It was worse than you thought. How do you, do you deal with the disappointment in yourself? Things that you never should have done. Things that you knew better. And all of a sudden, you find yourself there. I want to encourage you, don't be like Judas. Don't give up. In both cases, Peter and Judas, you've got to know this, that it was Jesus. And when Jesus fulfilled what he said he would do, it trumped the fact that you have done the thing that you said that you would never do. Isn't that a good word? Let me read that again. Jesus fulfilling what he said he would do trumps the fact that you have done the thing that you said you would never do. And the only way that this is true is because of what Jesus or who Jesus is. We're talking about Jesus this morning. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior. In order to be the Savior, he needed two things. Number one, he needed the desire to save, and he needed the power to save. And we're going to talk about that for a moment. I just want you to imagine that you're out in Lake Michigan, and it's one of those days where the waves are coming in, and, and you've got yourself in trouble out in the water, and all of a sudden, you feel like you're drowning and you can't get back in, and you're struggling big time. And if, it, if someone doesn't come to save you, you are going to die. You need someone not only that wants to save you, but you also need someone that has the ability or the training to get out and to get you to shore. How many are tracking with me? 
Well, a few years ago, I had this opportunity of Jessica's cousin's husband. His name is Jeremy. They were in town, and he is quite the guy. He's a firefighter. He's a tough guy, and, uh, and I love the water, and, I, and it was one of those days where the waves were just crashing big time, and uh, I said, come on, let's go out. Let's ride the waves. Let's catch some waves and body surf, and we thought we were going to have a great time, and all of a sudden, we were a distance away. I look over, and Jeremy, the look on his face was that he was going to die. He was struggling, and he was taking water in, and he was coughing and couldn't catch his breath, and, and it was scary. And I'm glad that I had the ability and the training to kind of get over there and to help him and say, come on, let's swim, not right to shore, but let's swim along until we catch a wave in, and, uh, and we were able to make it to shore and to be safe. I want you to think about the desire and the ability. See, if I didn't have the desire, I wouldn't have helped him. If I didn't have the ability, I couldn't have helped him. You take either one out, and that situation would have ended totally different. Just because you want to, it's not enough. And just because you have the ability, it's not enough. But in Jesus' case, he not only had the desire, but he had the power to save. And get this, the desire was right there on the cross. When Jesus allowed himself to be on the cross, willing to take the worst pain, the thorns in his head, the nails in his hands, the sword in his side, not to mention the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. It was so difficult that God in heaven turned and said, I can't even look at my son. The weight of the sin. That's the desire that Jesus had. And he was also, he was willing, but he also had the power. He, the comeback, the resurrection, the power is what gives us the ability to believe that if Jesus can come back from the grave, he can save us as well. Now, there were, in Jesus' day, there were others that rallied the people and were fake saviors, false revolutionaries that wanted to overtake the government, but the government, the Roman government, shut them down, would crush them, would put their thumb down, and then they would disappear. But that's not what happened with Jesus. They tried to shut him up, but Jesus was different. That's why we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. The truth is, is that what Jesus did for you and for me is greater than what you have done. No matter what your sin is, no matter what it has been, it, what Jesus did for you is greater. Can you relate? Like Judas, you had no idea that things were going to escalate the way that they did. When you started out, you thought it was innocent, and you say, man, I didn't know where it was going to take me. Maybe a relationship outside of marriage uh, that you just kind of got sucked into, and for a season it felt good, and all of a sudden you look up, and you've gone too far. Maybe you've been there. You're saying, whoa, I went too far. And you're trying to throw back the coin. You're saying, just take it back. I went too far. I don't want this. I don't want this. Just like Judas. You've hurt people that you never wanted to hurt. Listen, you need to hear this. What Jesus did for you is greater than what you've done. Maybe you've experimented with images online and got sucked in. 
or substances and maybe you tried something that would give you a buzz and all of a sudden it's like a boa constrictor tightening down, choking you. Maybe you're here and you have chosen your career over your family one too many times and now your career is your only companion. What Jesus did for you is greater than what you've done. Don't give up. Let me give you another quick angle. Luke chapter 23, verse 49. How many know that when Jesus died and they, you know, he gave his life on the cross, uh, the folks that were around him, some of the ladies and some of the disciples, it affected them. Uh, the idea is that the decisions of others affects you. Uh, how many know what I'm uh, talking about? The classic example is uh, being divorced, and then there's kids in the mix that divorce. Uh, the kids didn't do anything, but it affects them. I want you to know that what Jesus did for you is greater than what they did to you as well. The pain that someone else of someone else's choice, the ripple effect, so to speak, the hopelessness, that feeling of drowning, Jesus, he can get you out. I'm going to take you back to the cross here for a moment. When Jesus was on the cross, he gave us this beautiful picture of what it would take for you and for me to come back. In his most vulnerable moment, let's look at it. Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, we see Jesus. Verse 33 says this, when they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And this is the key. Jesus, at the lowest point uh, ever, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Forgiveness. Now, I just want you to know that it is a good thing that Ben Vey, me, that I am not the Savior. Because if I was on the cross and they're beating me and poking me in the side, I would have been like, go ahead and laugh. I'm coming back, right? I would have been talking all kinds. And by the way, I'm coming back with a glorified body. <laughs> and you think you can keep away, but I can just walk right through walls. <laughs> and I'm going to scare you, and I'll be back. And by the way, you're dividing up all my clothes. You better iron them, because I'm going to need them on Sunday. <laughs> That's what I would have probably said. But not Jesus. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And you know, it reminds me of another story that I read this week in our soap reading. And by the way, today at the back tables and out in the lobby, you can grab one. It starts today again, April 1st. Don't miss this. You need to be reading God's Word. But earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday, I was, um, we were in Luke chapter 15, and we were supposed to read Luke 15 and 16. I never got to Luke 16. I got stopped up in the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. It's a story where a son had blown it, had embarrassed his family, had spent all of his inheritance. And in verse 17, the boy comes to his senses, it says, and he decides that he'd be better off going home than living in the pig pen. I want to go there for a second in Luke uh, chapter um, 15. If you could turn with me there. It's a story of the lost son. 
Verse 20 says, So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Some versions say he threw his weight on his neck and he kissed him. I couldn't get past this story, probably because of some things that, that I've been uh, dealing with in, in my own life. But what's interesting about this story is the fact that the moment you turn back to God, the Father is waiting. What Jesus does is he's waiting for you to make that 180 turn. Why did the Father run to his Son? I want to tie this together. Think about the ability and the desire that we've been talking about earlier. Could it be that the Son couldn't come back on his own completely? Maybe he saw his dad, and if his dad wouldn't have ran, he would have just thought, oh, the shame, he's never going to take me and turn back. We don't know that, the uncertainty. We do know that the son was powerless. The son did not have the power to save himself. He did not know what his father was going to do in regards to forgiveness. And what I want us to see, most of us are familiar with this parable, is you are the son. I am the son, and Jesus is the father. And we cannot make it back on our own. But the good news is that the Father loves us so much. He loves you. And because of his love, you can turn back and come back. And the key is forgiveness. Back to the cross, the key is forgiveness. And I would say not only is it forgiveness, it's quick forgiveness. It's now, right here, forgiveness. Not after five counseling sessions. It's now. It always can get worse, believe me. Today is the day of forgiveness. And what's beautiful is that the moment you forgive yourself or you ask for forgiveness, you add forgiveness to your setback story, to your adversity, to your trouble, when you ask for forgiveness, that's when the healing begins, right there. And because of that truth, there should be no delay. Don't hold back. Soften your heart. Soften your heart. Now, we know what happened to Judas. He ended up taking his life. What about Peter? Let's look at that for a moment. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And turn with me to Mark chapter 16. This is... Easter Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning now. Jesus has risen. A bunch of ladies are coming back to put spices all over Jesus uh, because uh, Friday night, the, when the sun came down, you couldn't do any work. They took him off the cross. And so they're coming back. Saturday's the Sabbath, no work there. So they're coming back Sunday morning, and we see what happens. Uh, there's an angel there waiting for these ladies. And the angel says in verse 6, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. See the place where he lay? And then in verse 7, I want you to see something really powerful. It says, but go tell the disciples and Peter. Everyone say, and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. What we see here is that Peter 
was called out, that Jesus did not leave him high and dry, and he cared about Peter. And what's interesting, as I thought about this is a little bit and just kind of mulled over this, in verse 7, if Judas wouldn't have taken his life, could it be that that verse would have said, tell, go tell the disciples and Judas and Peter, if he would have softened his heart. I want to bring a final application here for each and every one of us this morning. Maybe you're in a spot where you're in deep water, where you're drowning. Maybe you've had a rough Friday or a really bad Saturday. And I don't know what that means, what that looks like. I know I've been there, no question. The good news, the good news of the gospel is that Sunday is here, right here, right now. And the other good news is that you are Peter. You're Peter. You've made it through. You didn't give up. You made it here. Even if you were dragged here, you're here. And yes, it's been dark. Yes, it's been lonely. But you're here this morning. And you've got to hear this. I believe it's a word from the Lord that God gave me earlier this week. You have a Savior who has the power and the desire to save you. No question. And I'm just going to declare that forgiveness starts right now, right here. There's no reason to delay. Now, we sing a song at the end of worship. It's called The Reckless Love of God. We've been singing it as a church, and so if you've been around, you're getting familiar with it. I told Pastor Bobby, I said, every time we sing that song, we should have an altar call. It's one of those songs that just draws you in. And I love that the song talks about how God pursues us relentlessly. He leaves the 99. He's willing to knock down any door, climb any mountain, so he can get to you. And let me pull it full circle. You're here. He's been pursuing you. No doubt about it. And so as we consider the application on Easter 2018, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to reprise this song as we set our hearts before the Lord. Let's do that together. Hallelujah, Lord. Minister to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you capture our hearts. You capture our minds. And the truth of this song is that you never give up on us. You're coming after us, God. And this morning, I believe that there are many here, just like first service, that needed to hear of your never-ending love, your perfect love. And God, I pray that your perfect love is opening hearts, softening hearts right now. In Jesus' name. This morning, church, I want to just encourage you. We want to offer to those that need it the free gift of salvation. The Bible says that of all that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one has to teach you how to sin. We all make mistakes. 
I'm the chief one among us. I assure you of that. But the gift of God is eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he had not only the desire to save you, he had the ability, and not only did he die, but he rose from the grave. That's the Easter story, and we celebrate that. But in that resurrection, that is what guarantees the power to save you, to forgive your sins. And if you're here this morning and you're hanging on to your sin, or you haven't turned your life over to God, or maybe you were serving God at one point and now you've kind of slid away and you're far away from God, today's your day to come back. We want to offer you that gift again. Who here this morning say, man, that's where I am. I need Jesus to save me. Just lift your hand. We had, yes, we had people first service, two or three, yes, in the back. I see your hand. Who else? We got a couple here so far. Who else? Say, and your heart's pounding. I've been there. You're saying, man, I need to respond. Yes, another one over here. Thank you, Ryan, or uh, Josh. Who else? Say, man, I need Jesus. I don't want to go another step without him. For the sake of the three or the four that raise your hands, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. The prayer, it's a miracle prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that are so miraculous. It's if you believe what we're about to say. The Bible says that your sins will be forgiven and taken as far as the east is from the west. Your sins are not counted against you anymore. So I want to just lead you in this simple prayer. And for the sake of the few, let's do this together, can we? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Please forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. This morning I give it to you. And I'm putting my faith in you that you are the Savior. That you died and rose again. Come into my heart. Make my heart clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you know what the Bible says? That even when one gives their heart to the Lord, that the angels in heaven rejoice. And so let's rejoice and say, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to ask that you just lift your hands one more time. We serve a great God. We honor you, Lord. We lift you up in this place. And this morning, we want to end with one final song describing how beautiful, how incredible, how awesome, how powerful is the name of Jesus. Say that with me, the name of Jesus. It's the name above every other name. And as we, as we close our service with this song, press in and let's be grateful for all that Jesus has done for us. Let's sing it together. Hallelujah. What a beautiful name. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.